Today's podcast is from AUA 2017 with a presidential address from Richard K. Babayan, who at that time was the president of the AUA. His talk is entitled Urology, A Personal Perspective. It's now a pleasure and privilege to introduce Dr. Richard Babayan, professor and chairman of urology at Boston University and president of the American Urological Association. Dr. Bravine will be delivering his presidential address. Good morning. It's really an honor and a privilege for me to have served as the president of the AUA over the last year. And I'd like to reflect a little bit on my nearly um, 40 years in urology to um, expound on what we have done as urologists and what the AUA is doing for us and what we can do in the future. Having the meeting in Boston is uh, another distinct honor for me. I'm the first AUA president in 29 years to host the meeting in his own hometown. And interestingly enough, the last one to do that was Joe Dowd in 1988. A lot of lessons have been learned uh, over the years, and I've learned that one must honor the past, but adapt for the future. I've had the privilege of having a number of great mentors who have provided stimulation for me. They have taught me that education is constant and we never stop learning, that we must promote and support research and development for our field to advance, and that change is inevitable. And one thing urology has done over the years is embrace change and adapt to it. And in any endeavor that we do, it's my strong belief that you have to have a supportive family, friends and colleagues to help you along the way. So I'd like to go back a little bit in history because I've found over the years being a residency director and then a department chairman that the uh, institutional knowledge of my residents uh, hardly goes back more than five years. So let's delve back in history a little bit. And I'd like to quote Harry Truman often because he said the only thing that's new in the world is the history you don't know. And many of us forget the foundations that were set before us and the influences that they helped us to develop. So in my own personal perspective, I was a medical student at Indiana. I had no idea what urology was until that fateful day in 1974 when I ran into John Donahue. And John Donahue opened a whole new world to me. He was an inspiration to all medical students at Indiana and caused uh, many of us to change our perspective and embrace urology as a field. And I owe a great deal of gratitude to Dr. Donahue for leading me in the pathway that has come to fruition at this day. Now, Dr. Donahue offered me a residency in Indiana, but I was hell-bent on getting back to Boston because I'd gone to college here. I developed uh, relationships here. And John Donahue picked up the phone, and uh, he led me to Boston University. 
and I've had the privilege of spending my entire career here, and it started with Dr. Olson. Carl Olson was my professor, my mentor, and a leader who promoted excellence. Many people looked in those days at Dr. Olson as a gruff tyrant. I looked upon him as an inspirational source of excellence. He pulled the most out of you, things I didn't think I had in me, and led me onto a uh, academic career. But the person who really developed my expertise was Bob Crane. Bob was not only a mentor, he was an innovator, a colleague, and a friend whose life came to an end very prematurely. But Bob had a vision, and Bob believed in innovation, and in excellence, and in outreach. And you'll find that these principles are things that go beyond a department chairman or a chief of a service. He reached out and he was one of the first people to say that um, the American Urological Association is not just an American-based organization, but it's a global organization. And he believed in innovation and excellence. The third person I'd like to mention is Joe Dowd. Joe was the last AUA president who held a meeting in his own hometown in Boston in 1988. And Joe had been treasurer and then president of the AUA, and he had a vision. Joe never did a lick of research in his entire career. He was a great physician, a great administrator, but he saw that the future of urology was in research and development. And an unknown fact to many of my younger colleagues is the fact that Joe Dowd sequestered a portion of every membership dues in the 1980s to be held for research. Nobody in that era had the foresight to know that this would be a benefit in the future. That money eventually in the endowment fund was used by the AUA to establish research scholars and help fund the research scholars we have today from the sections. And if it hadn't been for Joe Dowd's vision, none of that would have occurred. So change is inevitable. In the 1970s, I drove a Ford Mustang. It was a great car, it was a gas guzzler, and today it wouldn't fly. Uh, we're, we're going to an era of um, new development in energy-efficient vehicles like the Tesla, and urology has changed in a similar way. Let's look back in the 70s when I trained. Urology was a land of open surgery and some transurethral procedures. But what happened in the 70s was um, the development of departments of, of urology rather than divisions of urology 
with a spirit of innovation. When I started my residency, there was no formal pediatric urology, but leaders such as Alan Reddick in Boston took on the general surgeons, took on the pediatric surgeons, and developed pediatric urology as an entity unto itself. Urologists took on the oncologic features of our organ systems, and we began to understand neurourology and apply areas of research and development in the pathophysiology of urologic diseases so that the diseases of the urinary tract became our domain. In the 1980s, we started to expand and evolve our skill sets. Uh, endourology came along and initially was uh, the reaction was this was going to be the end of urology, but we have seen that it's adopted into all aspects of urologic care. Individual specialty areas started to spring up. Male infertility and microsurgery within urology was a new uh, era. Sexual medicine. When I was a resident, that was a psychiatric disease. You were crazy if you couldn't get an erection. But then we learned about the pathophysiology. We developed medical and surgical techniques to deal with this. Female urology and urodynamics uh, developed, as did other specialties. And we learned that we as urologists could apply both medical and minimally invasive approaches to urologic disease in addition to maximally invasive surgery. But it was also an era when the Renaissance urologist who did everything was disappearing and specialists were beginning. So we went from flank incisions to uh, shockwaves, uh, um, thanks to Dr. Chaucey and others. As the 90s progressed, so did we in the area of innovation. We adopted laparoscopy, and we started to move away from some of the traditional approaches. Instead of the ileal loop, we started looking at continent diversions. Instead of a radical nephrectomy for any renal tumor, we looked at partial nephrectomies. And we found that we could utilize medical management for BPH, ED, and other common urologic conditions. In the 2000s, we embraced robotics. I was 55 years old when I went to learn about robotics, and some of my colleagues laughed at me. You're going to go spend time learning a fad that will disappear. There's nothing wrong with an um, open radical prostatectomy. Well, that was something I guessed right on. Is it a replacement for what we've always done? Maybe, maybe not, but it's certainly a viable alternative and one that our patient population calls for. In addition to robotics, we saw further specialization and subspecialization. But it also was a period where an 80-hour work week was imposed on our residents, a non-validated system that might have uh, been appropriate for medical trainees, but many of us in surgery felt that it was a detriment. It put a limit on the exposure 
that our residents had. I remember in 1977, one of my uh, co-residents approached Dr. Olson and complained about uh, working every other night round the clock in the hospital. And Dr. Olson's response was, well, look at, at, it, look at it this way, son. You're already missing half the pathology. An 80-hour work week really puts restrictions. It limits the time to digest the material, not only the material I was faced with in the 70s, but a multitude of new materials that these residents have to acquire the knowledge and the skill set. And it's led to an increase in fellowship training, not only in urology, but every surgical discipline. So, yes, we've gone from open radical prostatectomy to the use of the robot, but how has the AUA adapted to these changes? And this is important because your organization has invested time and resources to deal with the changing environment. The AUA added a C6 component to its C3 corporation so that we could advocate on behalf of urologists and the patients we serve. We increased our educational resources, developed databases, and research support for the future of urology. We found that we needed to communicate better with the younger generation, and the AUA is as digitally competent in social media as any other organization in the world. We have worked to develop leadership and inclusiveness in our society and in our organization, and we've increased our diversity and our global outreach to meet the needs of a changing society. Look back in the 1970s, the AUA was housed in, in a row building in Baltimore, highly inadequate for the needs of today. Our past leaders had the foresight to build a four-story uh, building in Linthicum, Maryland, with ample opportunity to expand and develop. And we didn't forget about the past. The first floor, if you've never been there, you must go to the AUA headquarters and see the preservation of the history of urology within our building. To further demonstrate this, in 1977, there were 12 full-time employees of the AUA. Today, we have 158 staffers to help us develop all the things that we need in modern urology today. Our mission has remained stable with the addition of advocacy. We have always been an educational uh, organization. We have always emphasized and supported research, and now we advocate on behalf of our profession and the patients we serve. The AUA has more than doubled in size and is becoming inclusive as an international organization. This is the largest meeting of urologists anywhere in the world, and as Dr. Smith pointed out earlier, our journal Urology is the most widely read urologic journal in the world, and the most cited um, journal. Our Office of Education has grown immensely, 
and the AUA University is unique among surgical specialties. I had the honor of going to Chicago to the American College of Surgeons for a meeting of all surgical specialties talking about the future of surgical education. And no other specialty has what we have uh, online and available to our students, to our residents, and to our members of continuous education. Science and quality and data. Data is what drives everything that we do today in medicine, and the AUA is at the forefront with the Aqua Registry and the data that comes out from our census, and I encourage everybody to take part in this year's census because it'll give us the information we need to meet the needs of our members. Over the last 40 years, over 750 scholarships and awards, totaling over $30 million, have been given out by the AUA to stimulate the future of our profession. In 1977, there was one ABU certified female urologist. Today, there are 881 with another 1,500 waiting to get their certification. We have made great changes in inclusiveness in our organization. And in fact, starting Tuesday, we will have our first female board member in the American Urological Association. We've reached out internationally. In 1977, when I started urology, there were only 18 international members of our organization. Today, there are nearly 6,000 AUA members, and this is growing. So the questions we have today are, who are we? What do we do? Who do we serve? And what is our future projection? There are many challenges that face urology today. There's limited finances for urologic education. We know that in many areas there's a critical shortage of urologists, especially in rural areas. We have no likely expansion of training programs. There are turf battles with other specialties and healthcare reform all plays a role in limiting what we can do. We've incorporated non-physician providers in urology. In 1977, there were virtually none. Today, there are over 5,000, and this is the most uh, uh, growing area of um, urologic uh, care assistance. Traditional practice patterns are gone. Large groups are beginning to dominate urban areas, and solo practice is disappearing. The economics are forcing more and more practices into hospital-based or hospital-owned uh, practices, and we have to deal with this in the future. Urology must adapt to the changes, and we've done it very well. We know that proceduralists may be penalized in the future, and we know that primary care um, MDs are the uh, gatekeepers. But we, as urologists, can market ourselves just as the gynecologists have 
as the primary care providers of the genitourinary tract. This is especially uh, true in light of the baby boomers who are inundating the healthcare system and more and more of these 65 and older patients are going to require urologic attention. In 1977, we only had 11% of our population over the age of 65. With over 150 million additional people in America, the number over the age of 65 is now 16% and growing rapidly. But it's not all gloom and doom. Um, urology is a great field, and when you look at the AUA census, many people like myself say they would go back into urology at a heartbeat. We have a tradition of adapting and evolving, but we must take an active role in decision making. Don't let administrators define our role in healthcare. We need to advocate for this. I can't emphasize enough the need for change from within and volunteerism and involvement, just as Joe Dowd encouraged me to get involved in the New England section and in the AUA, we must bring young people in. And I think the leadership program that was started in 2004 is a great step forward. And finally, I have a vested interest in the future. The resident today is gonna to be my urologist in the future as I join the elderly crowd. So the lessons I've learned are remember the past, but embrace research and change, be flexible, never stop learning. You have to have supportive family and colleagues, and I'm pleased that um, my wife and kids are here in the front row. They have helped me, and my colleagues on the board of directors. This is a changing face. We're seeing younger and younger members participating at the board level. It's no longer an honorary position. It is a working position, and it's working for the benefit of our organization. Everybody thinks that Charles Darwin uh, said the survival of the fittest, but he really didn't. His quotation was, of those who will survive, it is not always the strongest, but the organism that's most adaptable. The AUA is a very adaptable organization, and we as urologists are very adaptable individuals, and we must continue the fight, and we must continue to advance our profession. It's been an honor to serve you this year, and I thank you for all your support and encouragement. Thank you very much.